0: About to dismiss our first through fifth grade kids So if you would stand with me and if you have a child in first through fifth grade gather them as close as you can and um, and we're going to pray just what we just committed to that we would be a part of our children hearing the gospel we're going to pray for them Lord uh, we're going to pray to the Lord for them that they are um, that they absolutely, get the message that they understand it by listen to me no one understands the gospel on their own intellect or strength let me try this crowd nobody understands the gospel in their own intellect or strength nobody does and so what we need for our children and incidentally what we need for us this morning is for the holy spirit to open our ears to open our minds to open our hearts to receive the word of god and so what we're going to do is we're going to ask For that miracle to take place this morning. So will you join me in that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to our children, Lord. We we see all the time how you are just so good um, to our kids and and you're good to us as parents, like we just prayed for Amber and Timothy. And God, right now, I just want to ask you, Lord, to do that miracle in their hearts, to open their hearts, to receive you, to trust you, to know you, to love you. And God, we... We ask that this day, we pray it all the time, God, and we're going to keep praying it all the time. But we ask that not some future day, but this day is the day that their hearts awaken to your gospel and that they put their trust in you and they follow you all the days of their lives. And these children turn to be 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, and they look back and they say, that was the day that the Holy Spirit helped me to understand what Christ Jesus has done for me. So, Lord, we they're not the only ones that need that help, as we just indicated. And so, Father, please look favorably upon your church today. God, we pray that you would not allow any of us who are adults who may have heard these scriptures before. God, we pray that none of us would, would be just unmoved by your word, that your word would have great sway over our hearts our attitudes lord god that you would by your great kindness draw us to repentance and that you would cause us to love you more god that that you would plant something in our hearts this week this morning that would last god for for a long time god that we could just chew on and continue to marinate in lord god we just pray that you would help us to do that this morning lord we we come to you empty-handed just just naked with nothing of our own lord god we need your help if we are to be fed this morning and so we ask for that in jesus name we thank you amen if you would remain standing grab your bibles turn uh for one of two more times to exodus chapter 20 we've been just kind of taking a look at this over and over again and and we got this week and one more and then we will uh we're going to move on to something else, but, but uh, we have really enjoyed getting to talk about the Ten Commandments. I know I have. I hope you've enjoyed listening to some of this, and, um, and we're just going to continue that this morning. So we're in Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, um, there is a Bible that we've provided for you. It's in the seat in front of you, and uh, we're going to be on page 35 in those Bibles, and we always like to say, if you don't have a Bible, Please, by all means, take that. It's our gift to you. It's that important to us that you have the Bible in your home. So um, go ahead and take that. But uh, let's look at Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 1. And it says this, God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord, your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You may be seated. (coughs) May God bless the reading of his word. (coughs) Excuse me. So when our children were young, a little bit older than, than uh, Amber and Timothy's children, when our children were young, Ginger and I decided, this is one of those tough calls you've got to make as a parent, we decided that one of the offenses in our home, one of the, the crimes, if you will, that would certainly incur sure and severe discipline from us was the sin of lying. Lying. While we could, and and we did respond, actually, mercifully to all other kinds of offenses, lying always meant, especially with with our small children, lying always meant that a spanking would be given. And the basis of this was simple. There are naughty things that children do. Can anybody testify to that? There are naughty things that children do, but they do them because they're childish or immature. And I want you to get this, especially young parents. But, and those things have to be addressed in a multitude of creative ways. You just don't start pulling off your belt just because your kid does something childish. Amen? All right. That was a little weak, but I'll take it. Um, you, you, don't just, you don't immediately go to the, the highest level of punishment. But I want you to see this because so, you know, childishness plays a great issue in that immaturity. But lying, however, I want you to think about this, is always done with malicious intent. Always. There's no exceptions to that. A lying person is misrepresenting facts. They're misrepresenting people or both, and always, always for selfish reasons. The liar never regards other people, but is only seizing a personal advantage. A child who robs a cookie jar or a politician who steals from the public coffers. In all actuality, they're not that much different. They, they construct their lies to divert your attention away from their guilt so that they won't have to sacrifice what their sinful heart desired and subsequently took. Bernie Madoff told his investors that their investments had garnered a $65 billion return. But as we all know now, what he'd actually done is stolen $20 billion from them. People don't just use deceptions, however, to divert attention from their own misconduct, but they also do it to saddle the innocent with unjustified blame, to protect their own reputations by destroying the reputations of others. Australian brothers Ray Peter and Brian Mickelberg, were accused of stealing 49 gold bars that at the time were valued at $650,000 back in 1983. Now listen, all three of these brothers for this crime served prison sentences of various lengths, ranging from nine months to eight years, until it was discovered that the authorities in this case had fabricated all of their confessions, they'd planted evidence, they'd lied at the trial, and even tortured those three brothers in order to frame them for this crime. Yet others simply lie for the thrill of it all. They lie desperately trying to impress their audience with exaggerated tales of their adventures, their accomplishments, and their qualifications. And they hope, by the use of deception, to gain some level of esteem. Some of you will remember this name, but in the 60s and 70s, Mike Warnke was a very popular speaker who spoke of his days in the 60s as a high priest of a satanic cult, and he claimed to be a notorious drug dealer and a Vietnam combat hero until his conversion to Christianity. And he became so popular that he became a frequent uh, con- consultant to law enforcement agencies all around the world who were investigating occult-related crimes and, and it subsequently sold thousands and thousands of books and records. But there was only one problem, and it was this, that every bit of his story was completely untrue. An investigative expose by Cornerstone magazine in 1991 included interviews with over 100 of Warnke's personal friends and acquaintances, and all it revealed was inaccuracies, fraud, and deceit rampant throughout his story. Pictures taken during the time that he claimed to be a satanic high priest and drug dealer with with fingernails, you know, long fingernails and and hair down to his waist, the pictures actually showed that he was just kind of a rotund and typical square from the mid-1960s. Pictures are terrible things, aren't they? Ginger and I, when we were raising our kids, we hated the idea of our children learning to deceive, learning to lie, because there's nothing so opposed to the nature of God's character as untruth. Nothing. The, book, the, or the Bible rather, tells us in the book of Numbers that God is not a man that he should lie. Our confidence in God comes from, think about this, this is absolutely true, our confidence in God comes to us in the assurance that He will never and cannot lie to us. That's why we put our trust in Him, because we, through the Holy Spirit, realize that what He says is truth. As parents, we wanted our children to embrace this characteristic of their Heavenly Father, and we wanted them to value and commit their lives to the truth. And so the Ninth Commandment says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And it serves as an important reminder of this aspect of God's holiness. And it's a call to all of His people to reflect that holiness in return. See, the new nature that's been given to us by the Holy Spirit, it requires that we live in the truth and that we speak the truth, and that we promote the truth, and that we stand up for the truth. This has to be our commitment, even when the truth is hard. It has to be our commitment, even when the truth will cost us our standing with our friends and with our family, and it even has to be our position when the culture absolutely out of hand rejects the truth in any In all circumstances, believers must be recognized as people of truth. And this is one of those things that is really, really easy for us to affirm. Let me prove it. We're going to take a quick poll. Raise your hand if you think Christians should tell the truth. Raise your hand. Okay, I'm glad to see a majority of you feel that way. It's easy to affirm. No one's going to argue with that. But have you found that it's harder to live out? Okay, you don't have to admit to that. I lie all the time, Pastor. You can't trust the thing I say. It's easy to, to affirm, but it's harder to live out. Do a quick assessment of yourself to yourself right there. Just open up your mind and think. Think about those scenarios that I gave earlier, the the names I named and the people I, I told. Now, I admit, I admit it, that those showed examples of extreme departure from the truth. I admit that. You're not Bernie Madoff, Mike Warnke, or people who torture people for confessions. I understand that. But ask yourself these questions. Ask yourself right now in your mind, ask yourself, do I ever distort the facts to avoid trouble with my spouse? Do I? Wow, there is some serious honesty. Let's just shut her down and have the altar calling as I'm healing this way. Do you ever distort facts to avoid trouble with your boss, with your teacher? Or how about that pesky cop that pulled you over? Do you withhold details or blatantly shift blame when you're absolutely wrong? even at the expense of others. Are you prone to exaggeration? Are you prone to one-upmanship, doing it to impress others with your stories? Well, listen, if any of these apply, the ninth commandment is being broken. Because on one level or another, when we do those things, we are bearing false witness. We're carrying false witness. We're saying that something's true that's not. And we can't really talk about these transgressions of the law, however, until like we've done every week, we consider what it means, what this ninth commandment means to those who are in Christ Jesus. For whom, and if you're in Christ Jesus, this applies to you. How, what does this mean to people who are in Christ Jesus? For those whom the law has been perfectly fulfilled by Jesus. And those who, like we said last week, have literally been delivered from the curse of the law. What does it mean to us to not bear false witness? So the question we need to ask ourselves is on what basis do we give ourselves to lives of total honesty? And it's on the basis, as I said earlier, that our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a God of absolute truth. Absolute truth unchanging james put it like this he said there's no shadow of turning in him he's that steadfast he's a god of absolute truth not only is god a truth teller but i want you to understand that all truth literally originates it has its genesis with god all truth augustine greatest theologian of the of the entire first millennium He said this once. He said, let every good and true Christian understand that wherever truth may be found, it belongs to his master. I like that. R.C. Sproul kind of updated that several centuries later. And he said, all of truth is God's truth. I want you to think about that. That would include the truths of the Bible as well as the truths of science. It includes the truths of economics and sociology. It includes simple facts like flowers are beautiful, as well as the deep mysteries surrounding black holes in space and even blacker holes in the souls of those who are without Christ. No matter what our postmodern secular world says, truth can't be compartmentalized into the scientific truth and the religious truth. Truth is also not relative ever to culture, feeling, or interpretation. All truth is rock steady, solid, steadfast, and all truth is God's truth alone. God has absolutely, no matter how much we might avoid trouble or do the other things I mentioned by avoiding the truth, God has no vested interest whatsoever in the domain of lies. None whatsoever See, there is another power that operates and trades in that realm of lies. And Jesus said once to a stunned group of Jews, he said, You are of your father, the devil. Well, that would wake you up faster than a cup of coffee, wouldn't it? You're of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him when he lies he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies what a clear distinction those standing outside the truth those who embrace and spread lies literally belong to the devil He's a father to them. Whereas all truth is God's truth, Christ says there is no truth in the devil. Jesus, on the other hand, is the embodiment of truth. Where Jesus is, truth is. You guys remember what he said? He said it famously of himself. He said, I am the way and I am the truth. He didn't say, I tell truth. He said, I am the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So how do we fulfill God's demand for honesty from his people? It's as simple as, or is it rather, in the form of a question, is it as simple as being like young George Washington was fabled to be? It's not really a true story, but we all heard it. Uh, That we just have a firm resolve that we cannot tell a lie. Is that how you do it? Well, maybe that's a good thing to do, but you've heard me say repeatedly in this series and everything else I've ever said that moral resolve alone is never an effective tool to fundamentally transform our fallen hearts, never. You can vow and swear and, you know, put your hand on the Bible, it's not going to help you at all. What we need, on the other hand, is to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Just like I said that with the children earlier, that they need their, art, their, their hearts and their eyes and their, and their minds open by the Holy Spirit. We, if we're ever going to be people of truth, people of honesty, we need to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And I believe the solution to the problem begins with honesty in at least four different directions that we should ask the Holy Spirit for help in these areas. Honesty towards ourselves. Honesty towards others, honesty with God, obviously, and honesty with the world. So what does honesty with ourselves look like? I've noticed a lot of times, a lot of times in counseling situations, when people say that, well, I'm just going to be honest. A lot of times they're being anything but honest. You know, I'm just going to be honest. My husband is the whole problem in this situation. Hey, eh, not being too honest there. Let me help you with that. So what does honesty with ourselves look like? I'm not talking about making self-affirmations, okay? Um, that's not honesty. I, 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 do you guys remember in uh, the 1990s, Saturday Night Live had a recurring character named Stuart Smalley. Anybody remember Stuart Smalley? Stuart Smalley would begin his parody show by staring into a mirror and saying, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. That is not being honest with yourself. Second Peter 1.10 gives us this admonition. It says, therefore, brothers, listen carefully. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, these are qualities that he mentioned earlier in the chapter. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. What I've found is that many people claim to be believers. They claim it. But they never test their claim in the light of God's Word. They assume that they're believers, that they're followers of Christ, that they're Christians, because they made a decision at some point in their previous life. They decided something, and so on the basis of a mental, uh, you know, kind of assent to a a fact, they say, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. But what I want you to hear this morning is that you and I belong to Christ not because of a decision we made but because of a decision he made. That's what I want you to hear. That's what I want you to understand. That's what Peter means when he says, make your calling and election sure. Make sure that the foundation of your faith is not a rickety, sandy, foundationless mess. It's your foundation by being chosen, elect, forgiven by God. And knowing that, Knowing that it had nothing to do with anything you did, whether that's a moral life or a decision, had nothing to do with anything like that. To know that, that's that's how we we daily make our calling and our election sure. James said, "I'm going uh, uh, James gives us warning about how to know where we where we stand. He said, "But if you have bitter jealousy." And selfish ambition in your hearts. I just said all lies are born in one form or another out of selfish ambition. And James says if you have that in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. What, what he's saying to us is that if, if my, my heart is a moral cesspool of bad attitudes and even worse actions, that, that for me to, to take comfort in a decision I made years ago is meaningless. The proof of belonging to Jesus is not in a past tense decision, but it's in an ongoing present tense transformation. Transformation. Is there daily in your life less similarity between yourself and those who are perishing without Christ in this world? Are you growing more like Jesus every day? The way that others for years used to be on bumper stickers and t-shirts and things like that. The way that others have stated it for years is like this. If you were on trial for being a Christian... Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Just so you know, that that, asking ourselves those kind of questions is very biblical. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13.5, he says, examine yourselves. Take a hard look. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. I don't care who they are, how good they are. I don't care if it's me. Don't assume on a preacher's words assuring you of your salvation if your life shows no evidence of the Holy Spirit's work. You are deceiving yourself. But we are also not only called to be honest with ourselves, we're called to be honest with each other. Colossians 3.9 says, Simple as this, do not lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. Paul is saying that, that the lifestyle, the habit of lying, has no place in the life of someone who has been made new by the Holy Spirit. You've put off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's what he's saying, what I just said. You are becoming more like Jesus if you are one of His. The reason we don't lie to one another is because we've been made new. Lying is evidence, as I just said, of the old self when we belonged to our father, the devil. But now, praise God, we have been purchased by Jesus for the glory of the Father. So lying has no place in us. Therefore, lying has to be put away from all our interactions, but it should be especially not ever found among the people of God. Paul says, Therefore, having put, uh, put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why, Paul? For we are members of one another. He's saying the fact that you and I are all members of one body makes it absolutely nonsensical that we should lie to each other. That we should t- would your hand lie to your foot? If, if, you, if, if you if you cut off if you cut off your hand, is your foot and your foot says, "Hey, you okay up there," is your hand going to say, "No, nah, I'm good, I'm good. Don't worry about me. I'm sure, the bleeding will stop sooner or later." Members of a single body do not lie to each other. You know why? Because their communication with each other is directed by the head. Do you know who the Bible says is the head of this body? Jesus. So, third, we're to walk in total honesty before God. Again, if I had you raise your hand, you'd say, Of course, makes sense. You know, of course we're going to do it. God knows everything. But it's a very fallen and yet common human assumption assumption, to think that we can somehow hide the depravity of our attitudes and the darkness of our souls from God. This is why Adam and Eve sewed together fig leaves after they sinned in the Garden of Eden. They were attempting, think about the absolute idiocy of this move. They were attempting to hide from a holy God the fact that they were naked having been slain by their own sinful desires. They were dead in sin and naked, and they didn't want God to know either. Let me just help you out. They weren't cavemen that didn't have any common sense. If it didn't work then, it won't work now. If you think... That the fig leaves of your religious devotion or your charitable deeds or any other thing are blinding God's eyes to to the absolute depravity of your lust and your rage, your greed, your deception. You are fooling yourself and are sadly mistaken. You may show up here every Sunday and because of that, that kind of religious thing you're checking off your list, you may feel clothed. But listen to me carefully. It's only fig leaves. That's all you're covering yourself with. Just fig leaves. And they're soon going to wither. And they're going to expose your spiritual nakedness. And what will you do then? The only way to real, genuine, lasting peace with God is not through moral perfection but through an honest heart of repentance and dependence on God. Think about what we are saying this morning. Break us. That's dependence. That's, that's Or repentance, rather. That's repentance. Break us, Lord, by the power of your grace. Break us. That's repentance. In Christ alone, my hope will stand. That's dependence. That's dependence repentance and dependence working hand in hand. First John 1 John 1.5 is such a beautiful passage talking about being honest with God. It says, this is the message that we have heard from Him and we proclaim it to you, that God is light. Why does He describe Himself as light? Because He can't hide anything in the light. It's exposed in the light. It's truth is seen in the light. God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. So if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Now, what John's not saying there is that if you find in the course of your daily pursuit of God, you go, oh my goodness, there's darkness in me not saying that you're a liar it's saying if you walk in the darkness if you actively engage if you say hey i'm just gonna keep walking this thing out and we'll just see where it goes i can tell you where it goes but he says if we walk in darkness we lie and don't practice the truth now watch verse 7 is so hopeful but if we walk in the light who's in the light jesus god is light in him there's no darkness at all if we walk in the light as he is in the light We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So you're not going to be perfect walking in the light, but if you stay committed to the light, in repentance and dependence, guess what? The blood of Jesus will be nonstop cleansing you of all your sin and keeping you in fellowship with the Father. Ah. Awesome Lastly, we have to be honest with the world around us. I'm not talking about people like us I'm people talking about people completely unlike us, spiritually, whatever other category, completely unlike us, we have to be honest with them. And this is where honesty with ourselves, honesty with others, and honesty with God all converge in this area of being honest with the world. That's why I left it for last. Think about it. If you fail. To be honest with yourself, fail to, to be honest with others and with God, you will have no credibility whatsoever to this dying world. None. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It carries with it, this scripture carries with it a connotation of lying under oath in a court of law. And this was considered an abomination in ancient Israel, and it carried stiff penalties. For example, look at Deuteronomy 19, verse 18. It says, The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness in a case is a false witness, and he's accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So it's got this connotation of being a witness in the witness stand in a court of law. And with that in mind, it's interesting to me, and always has been, that Jesus has called us as his people. He's called us not to be his salespeople, not to be his agents. It's not some pyramid scheme where we get two people under us, they get two people, and pretty soon the whole world is saved. He hasn't called us to be salespeople or agents. He's called us to be his witnesses, Acts eight. He's called us to be his witnesses. My question to you is, are you bearing true or false witness? See, the whole of life is a courtroom. All of it. Life is a courtroom. The devil right now at this very moment, all over the world at the same time is prosecuting against the truth of the gospel. Well, the Holy Spirit is on the other side contending for the truth of the gospel. And in this trial... You and I are witnesses to the truth or the falsehood of the gospel. So my question again, what kind of witness are you in this trial? Do you help or do you hurt the case of Jesus? What kind of a witness are you? If you fail to be honest with yourself, in our first step there, and you're dishonest about your true spiritual state, you can only be a false witness because people will see your hypocrisy as a mockery of the truth and they'll say, ah, it's just empty religion. It doesn't mean anything. It's not changing them one bit. If you fail to be honest with other people, with one another, people are going to see that and see you as a malicious phony <laughs> who will... Turn at the very first opportunity and bite them as well. If you fail to be honest with your God, your whole life will be shrouded in darkness. And you are simply, in the words of Jesus, going to be a blind person leading other blind people. And Jesus says they're both going to fall into the ditch. What kind of witness are you? Are you one that's false? It's easily picked apart and discredited by the satanic prosecuting attorney? Or are you a true witness who through daily repentance and constant dependence on Christ are demonstrating the truth of the gospel to this dying world? Brennan Manning, many of you have heard this quote. I love this. This was so powerful. But he said, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. You shall not bear false witness. Not to yourself, not to others, not to God, and not to the world around you. This commandment. as I hope I've demonstrated this morning. Is at the very heart of the gospel. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. The vital thing for us as believers to remember. From this message and from the ninth commandment. Is as I said earlier that truth is God's domain alone. And placing our faith in him. It frees us from the fear of exposure because we know that everything that he has said about us, everything that he's said about himself, everything he's said about the world, everything he's said about his salvation is absolutely true. So the question, if we agree that it's true, the question is, what has he said? Well, he said that all of us, without exception, have sinned said that all of our righteous deeds are about as valuable as a filthy, blood-stained rag. He says that the just penalty for all of that sinning is certain death and eternal judgment. Do you know what else he says? He says in Romans 5.8, that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So it says a lot about us, but it says even more about him. That when I dug a hole for myself too big to get out of, he reached down and pulled me out and made me brand new. When I was still a sinner, he didn't wait for me to go live in a monastery somewhere and get life figured out. He said, while I was still a sinner, Christ Died for me. And then he goes on to say, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Right. If you've placed your trust in Christ, think about all that that means for you. Right now, right here, if you've placed your trust in Christ, all of your sin has been forgiven. Past, present, future, your record has been cleared, my friend. You are counted as perfectly righteous before the father you've been delivered from god's wrath you you're right now even as we speak you're being made brand new from as the bible describes it from one level of glory to the next level of glory one degree of glory to the next degree of glory and that's happening every day you may look at and go man this is such a slow painful process and it can sure feel that way but when you're looking ahead and thinking you're never going to get there look behind you and see how far you've come And it will encourage your heart. But if you're not a follower of Christ, you're just not. God's truthfulness means that all you have to do this morning, and I'd love for some of you to do this this morning, all you have to do this morning is come to Him and find the satisfaction that you may never have thought possible for your life. One of the last verses in the entire Bible says, The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Are you thirsty this morning? Is your soul dry and feeling as though you're crawling through the desert? And the invitation of Jesus Christ, who cannot lie, is come. And I will satisfy that thirst. I will fill you with water that will bring life to you. Not the same old death, but water of life. In a way, our weekly celebration around the table of the Lord is a Joyful reminder of God's truthfulness for us. What the prophets prophesied for centuries in the Old Testament has now come to pass for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Full, eternal salvation for all who would just believe and call on His name. If you're not following my train of thought here, what I'm here to tell you is God promised and God delivered. Jesus has kept His word. He has not lied to you. Together at these tables, we remember how his body was broken and his blood was spilled so that we, you and I, these sinners, could be adopted, huh, adopted into his family and given eternal life. What he promised, the God of all truth has delivered. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God, find their yes in Christ. All of them. There's nothing left on the table. They've all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that's why through him that we utter our amen. You know what amen means? It means so be it. Let it be. So be it. And so it's through Christ that we recognize that all the promises of God have already been fulfilled. God's kept His Word. And we can say, Amen. I don't care what it looks like around me. I don't care what I'm afraid of right now. I don't care of the exposure that I fear so so desperately. I say, Amen, to all the promises being fulfilled in Christ. Paul says to the Corinthians, (coughs) For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you, promise kept. Promise kept. do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant. Now just think about those words. Oh man, on the old covenant, it was all based on your performance, all how you could just Keep the law perfectly. And everyone in here who's over the age of zero knows that you cannot keep the law perfectly. But Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That means that sinners, while they're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he cleansed us, and he forgave us, and he made us grand spanking new this cup is the new covenant my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes would you all stand with me i'm gonna ask our communion workers to come and let's just pray and if you're thankful For a God of truth, a God that has kept His promises, can you just join me in prayer? Don't listen to me pray. Pray and tell Jesus Christ how thankful you are that He's kept His promises. And because He has, if you're a believer, you are accepted by Him. If you're not a believer this morning, I want to reiterate my invitation. This is not rocket science you don't got that we don't have to shave your head and make sell flowers at the airport anything silly like that right where you're at all you got to do is say all right Lord I've heard and I believe and I'm giving you my life guide it where you want to guide it use it the way you want to use it but the Lord the one thing I desire is to give glory to you and be yours forever and if you'll pray a simple prayer like that you can belong to Jesus If you pray it in faith, with true repentance, you can be Jesus. So I want to invite you. If you do something like that, would you do me one quick favor? You don't have to do it in front of everybody, come down here or anything. But if you want to make that commitment this morning, would you just take a moment after service, I'll be around, and just let me know that so I can celebrate with you. That would be the highlight of of my year to get to celebrate that with you. Let's pray a prayer of thankfulness. Pray from your own heart. Pray from your own words. Pray a prayer of thankfulness right now for what God has done and how he's kept his promises. Father, we thank you that so long ago, beginning in Genesis chapter 3 and followed literally hundreds of times after that, you promised that you were going to send Jesus. You promised that he would come as your suffering servant and he would take away the sins of the world, that he would bear them on himself, and that those who believed in his name that you would give them a new heart, that you'd give them a new spirit, that you'd write your laws on their heart. And God, as we consider your commandment not to lie, not to bear false witness, God, we thank you that you have demonstrated perfect truthfulness with us. You have done everything that you said you were going to do. And it is because of that reality that we are saved. So God, I pray that you would just receive thankfulness from our heart for the great sacrifice, the great cost that you paid with the blood and the body of your Son to redeem us from the curse of the law, from the curse of sin, from the curse of death. You set us free. We thank you for that, Jesus. Be magnified in us. Lord Jesus, I I implore you, I, I beg you, I plead with you, if there's anyone here who does not know you, or God, if there's even someone here who thinks they know you, would you—and they don't—would you just reveal that truth to them right now, Lord God? God, if there's anyone here who has been trying to vow their way to heaven and and white knuckle their way to heaven and live morally to get their way to heaven, Lord, will you just reveal the folly of that to them this morning? And help them to put their trust in You and what You have done and in Your decision, Lord God. God, call Your people this morning. Call us, Lord Jesus, to serve You and follow You. Thank You for this, Lord Jesus. You are good, eternally good, everlastingly good. And we celebrate Your goodness this morning around Your table. In Jesus' name. Amen. You're welcome to come.